Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. As ever, every month I'm joined by Amanda Robbie for our book review podcast. Say hello, Amanda. Hello. Uh, what have we been reading this bit, this month, Amanda? Okay, we have been reading um, a short book by John Stevens of the FIEC called Knowing Our Times, How British Culture Impacts on Our Mission. So, as you say, it is a short book. It is, um, I think, basically a series of talks written up. Uh, eight, seven short chapters, uh, very short, two or three pages, some of them, mm-hmm. um, with some questions for reflection and discussion. And uh, what we thought we might do in a slight uh change from how we normally do our book review is actually use some of those questions to reflect and discuss Uh, so hopefully that will give you a flavor of the kind of content that's in the book Uh, and maybe at the end we'll just uh, do a little summary of who we think the book is helpful for and 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 so on Um, so the first chapter which I thought was very helpful context although the book is on knowing our times and in in the sort of introduction he says you know this is a an attempt to describe the situation in the UK in 2017 so it's all already out of date. Um, The first chapter is on the sort of eschatological times, Mm. understanding what it means that we are in the last days. And I thought that was just a helpful place to start with that kind of context that um, the situation we're in in the UK in 2018 is not in many ways a new situation. It's very similar to things that the church has faced over the last 2,000 yeah, years. Yeah, I, th- I think it w- it, there's a the tendency always to think, oh, it's so different, it must be the last days now. But actually, the Bible teaches that we've been in the last days since yeah. since before Pentecost, you know, since exactly. the ascension, haven't we? So. Um, exactly. And so, you know, he helpfully just kind of refers to uh, books that he's been reading on J.C. Ryle and the struggle in the 19th century and then another one uh, just in the 1970s. And and actually, even in that sort of relatively recent history, we're not in completely a new time. But we do seem to be in a situation where the church is not growing rapidly in the UK. It's not that there's no growth at all. And, and so one of the questions that he asks uh, to reflect and think about that Uh, In what ways are you and your church experiencing increasing opposition to the gospel? So I just wonder, uh, Amanda, your church uh, is in a slightly different context to mine. Do you want to just say something very briefly about Holy Trinity and where it is and and what the parish is like? And then maybe think about. Yeah. So Holy Trinity is a relatively small congregation. We get about 50 or so folk on a Sunday morning in our main service. And we have sort of messy church. We have a wider network. Uh, uh, but it's in a uh, deprived area of West Bromwich, which is, is what, I don't know, second most deprived city, uh, town in the UK. Uh, it's incredibly multicultural. There are over 30 languages spoken at home from children at the church school. Uh, our neighbourhood has uh, uh, sort of all immigrants who've been here for longer, so uh, uh, Caribbean folk, Afro-Caribbean folk, uh, Punjabis uh, and uh, other folk from the Indian subcontinent whose families came over in the sort of 50s, 60s, 70s. And then there's been a whole new wave of immigrants in the last 10 to 15 years uh, from the EU, but also from other places who come via the EU or so. So we've got Nepalis, we've got Afghans, we've got... Uh, Ghanaians. Ghanaians, we've got people from Togo. The, All over. People from so many different places, Polish, Roma... Romanians, so a, a massive yeah. 
um, just a, a melting pot, uh, not a <laughs> you might people, say. Yes. And so within that sort of context, do you feel uh, that you're experiencing opposition to the gospel? Are you seeing gospel growth? Um, there, there are small pockets of gospel growth we'd see in individual lives. We're definitely seeing some people come to Christ um, slowly. And, you know, some some of those who've come to the Lord in the last in the time we've been here, nine years, uh, some of those are from the older immigrant community mm. who had been churched, if you like, and then have come to Christ through circumstances, which has been wonderful. Others and, and new people, new mm. people who are uh, more recent immigrants and who've heard the gospel for the first time. So there is a real mix and, and maybe there's an openness here amongst new immigrants mm. that you might not see in a more older established community where yeah, people are so over familiar with Christianity. There's been a lady coming to our mm. front door recently who's read the Bible for the first time and keeps on coming to the door with amazing questions because she's been so uh, bowled over by reading the gospel. That is delightful, isn't it? So my church uh, in Stafford, Castle Church in Stafford, is probably, uh, it's bigger than Holy Trinity. We probably have about 100 people on a Sunday, something like that. Uh, it's a bit more middle class, although not exclusively so. It's very much more monocultural. We do have some people who are not white, but we don't have very many who are not white. Uh, and, yeah, we don't have the same sort of immigrant populations either, the, the sort of older generation or really the newer generation very much at all. And that more or less reflects the population in Stafford. I mean, I think we could be more diverse than we are, but it's it's uh, it's broadly speaking very much white English. Um, and I would say we are seeing some gospel growth. We are definitely seeing the church growing, and some of that is by people moving um, into the area and finding us. But we are definitely seeing people coming to faith as well, not, again, in huge numbers. Um, in terms of opposition to the gospel, I don't think we're seeing a lot of outspoken, explicit opposition. Uh, people are generally still polite, um, you know, we, we're not sort of excluded from being in schools or in public spaces or, or those sorts of things. But I do think we're seeing quite a lot of what he, he talks about in the book in terms of, well, I think he often calls it disinterest, but I really want to say uninterest. Yeah. Um, you know, people just don't think it's relevant. Yeah, I think um, in our area, uh, there is still because a lot of people have come from a sort of religious background, yeah. uh, particularly other faiths, but also um Christians um, yeah. from different countries, there, there is a positivity towards faith and an understanding that it's important that, that maybe makes it easier to bring out the gospel. The thing, in a way, which is, is, is opposed to the gospel, makes the gospel a, a, a barrier, is almost people's brokenness, mm. that people are in such a pickle uh, or their, their, their lives are so broken that, 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 things, that they cannot cross the hurdle of hearing about the gospel or yeah. finding out. Um, that, that there are so many things in their lives that are barriers to um, to hearing the, the gospel truth. Yeah. And uh, there, there may be some opposition in that um, through that brokenness. Yes. Interesting. So if we move on um, to chapter three is about knowing the cultural times. And again, you know, it's only three or four pages. And obviously that's very broad brushstrokes. But what I one of the things I liked about the book is in the um, questions for reflection, he doesn't just stay at that really broad brushstroke. He encourages you to think about what the reality is where you live. So one of the questions is, 
what are the dominant belief systems and worldviews of the community where you live and work? And I think these are these are probably, again, quite different uh, for you here in West Bromwich and for me up in Stafford. I don't think I would say we are in that situation where people generally have some kind of religious heritage or accept that, you know, religion ought to be an important part of your life, whatever faith that is. Um, by and large, I think we are in a place where people are thinking religion is generally irrelevant. Yes. And he, uh, John talks about this very well, that, you know, that, that I guess the dominant British culture is yeah. no longer asking the questions to which the gospel pres- provides the answers. Yes. Although, I kind of want to say it does, but not... The, not the old questions. Not the old questions with this, yeah. We used to, the, the modern view of yeah. um, people thinking, people feeling guilt yeah. and people wanting an answer, wanting forgiveness in some way. And although I think um, maybe that's an issue um, in our in our situation where people mm. understand faith. But again, um, guilt, a lot of people come from the sort of shame culture. So you're not yeah. people are not necessarily being guilty about things they've done personally, but they don't want to bring sh- they're, they're hiding yeah. things because they don't want to bring shame on the community. Yeah. So he, he talks about objective guilt has been displaced by feelings of subjective shame and low self-esteem, which require therapy rather than salvation. Now, I don't think he actually thinks that. And I don't think that either. They require salvation, too. Um, but it, it may not be such an obvious direct link. Yeah. Why is it that struggling with those feelings of shame and low self-esteem, actually what you need is, sa- is to be saved? And we need to think about how we tell the gospel <coughs> in a way that, that helps people see that it does answer those kinds of questions. Um, I, w- I want to do a little plug just at this point. If you're interested in thinking more about those sort of dominant belief systems and worldviews of contemporary culture. The talks from the Fellowship of Word and Spirit conference this year, and in particular Jason Ward's talk uh, on the Missio Day in uh, contemporary culture, he did a lot of really helpful analysis of uh, the kind of dominant uh, philosophical worldviews and how they show themselves in our society. Um, so really worth, it's on the website, it's really worth going in and listening to that. And John's summary is, uh, is to remember it's to basically that we have to recognize that we're in a missionary situation and not revival context yes. and certainly when I was a teenager um, we were t- we were praying for revival we were talking about revival and certainly um, historically um, some some sections of the church are still very much praying for revival and certainly our evangelical churches need reviving in, in many ways but in terms of our culture, it is very much we're back in the first century. We're yes. we're in a missionary context. Yes, and having said, he does a really good uh, job of of showing us that our situation is not completely new. We are not the first generation to to face these kind of things. There is a sense in which our situation is different from say, the 18th century and the the kind of Whitfield and and Wesley revival, because, as you say, we're not speaking into a a kind of Christendom culture, mostly. We're, you know, maybe still in some older generations or, as you say, in some immigrant populations. But actually, by and large, British culture is no longer Christian and people are increasingly not even ticking boxes on a form to identify as Christian or or whatever. And, you know, rightly so, recognising that they are not. Um, But it does mean we are in a a missionary situation as if we are telling this country the gospel for the Mm. first time. And I think evangelicals have always seen themselves as missionaries. Mm. Uh, So it's not something that we're unfamiliar with. But 
the 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 type of mission we're doing is is much more i don't know cross cultural that in in a way because our culture we have almost as as evangelicals we've preserved that christendom in our you know in our heads and our minds so when we go to people that they're starting from such a different place to us in terms of their worldview that we have to do quite a lot more um sort of understanding and and connecting Yes. And we might have done with our contemporaries 20, 30 years ago. And I think he helpfully makes a point in one of the chapters we haven't really talked about, but uh, in terms of the, the political and, and legal status of Christianity, that actually that really just reflects where society is at rather than making society less Christian. It's because mm. society is basically not Christian that increasingly uh, our laws and, and our acts of parliament and so on are not reflecting Christian values, and and we shouldn't be surprised by that. And it's not to say it's necessarily wrong to to campaign against those changes, but we shouldn't be surprised when we don't win, yeah. um, because we are such a minority voice. Yes. Um, moving on, mm-hmm. um, he talks about uh, this is a chapter knowing the gospel times, oh, but yeah. um, you know, seeing how different ways of life and different ways of community. Um, are requiring new ways of doing church or new ways of engaging with community and particularly uh, thinking about sort of transient communities, rural communities. Um, You know, why is it that some churches are growing and others not? Well, actually, you know, some of that does have to do with who lives where you live and Mm -hmm. and what kind of area it is. But um, the broad picture of the country is is more or less similar. So anyway, one of the questions he asks, and I think this is a really good question to ask of any church, do the people who attend your church on a regular basis fairly reflect the social makeup of the local community in which it is located? And if not, why not? Yes, it's a, it's a very good question, especially for a parish church. Yes. Uh, uh, which Ros and I are both sort of very much parish churches, although this one of the challenges is that because of social networking, people socially network online and then don't feel the need to be to have relationships so mm. much with people locally, geographically yes. connected. Well, and not just online, but people might commute to work. Yeah. You know, they might be spending their weekends visiting family who live, you know, in a whole different place. Our lives just are much less locally defined yes. for most people these days. And uh, I, what's interesting in our area, obviously, people come from different um, backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, um, and will very often try and spend time with people, you know, who speak their heart language, who who understand where they're coming from. And, and there's a sort of pocketing of people. It is not quite ghettoizing, but it does. That does certainly mm. happen in in some parts. We're too mixed in our yes. a- neighbourhood for people to really just wholly be with people very much like them. Although there is that, mm. you know, people want comfort from people who know them, and um, so they do that. But our primary school particularly is such a mixture that people do come to know each other. And uh, I have a I have a weekly coffee morning, and very often we've got people of sort of six half a dozen ethnicities sat round. You know, when there's you know, only a dozen of us, but people from very different backgrounds, and that is a great joy. Yes, um, to sort of know one another and be friends across those mm. um, backgrounds. But it is a challenge for church, especially um, for initial immigrant populations. Mm. The language barrier is is a thing to overcome, and I know lots of churches thinking through this how 
Yes. You have a church which serves people whose language, whose English isn't great, but doesn't then say sort of push them off into a separate congregation segregate say, them. Yeah. and segregate them. And um, yeah, something yeah, we're the... very passionate about here is not to have people segregated by culture at all. Mm. You know, language or culture shouldn't be a barrier to being one family family in Christ. One of the things in our parish that is an issue much more than the the sort of uh, racial and, and ethnicity kind of issue is class, actually. So uh, the parish uh, that my church is in was traditionally a, a very middle class parish. It's at the, the really nice end of town with the huge, great houses. And then um, I think in the 1960s, I might have got the date wrong, but I think in the 1960s, they built a council estate. Mm-hmm. And um, that is part of the parish. And at the time, the people who were in the, the church uh felt that they didn't uh think that people from, well let's say the most charitable reading is that they didn't think people from the estate would come over to the church which is right on the edge of what is now the parish it, you know it's not in the in the heart of the community it's on the edge and it's not at the, on the council estate edge and so they built a church hall on the council estate and had services over there and so there was a a real sort of separation but it wasn't you know official obviously anyone could go to any of those churches but But actually you'd go to the one that was nearest to you and so we still have that uh church hall and we think it's very important because we feel we need a presence on the estate and we still have a service there but we are working hard to try and integrate and to try and develop ways of reaching out more into that community on on highfields than than perhaps we have the church always has in the past and and we are seeing fruit from that but it it does require different ways of thinking about yeah. doing evangelism and mission and, and, and i think it is a church. challenge um particularly reaching out into poorer areas yeah. has always been a challenge for the church as a whole um particularly evangelicals tend to be middle class churches we tend to be very word focused very book focused yeah. and again that doesn't always translate well into all kinds of cultures and communities yeah. and we need to think about how do we uh disciple people for whom that's not going to be yeah. a natural and easy way of doing it and yeah and i think um uh, the, uh, the good thing about the church of england is mm. there is is a, you know our parish church is where it is and uh, uh, somewhere poor and needy and it has it's there because of the parish system yes and um What's interesting, I think, in in John Stevens' book is obviously the FIEC doesn't have that sort of um, commitment to pay for a pastor for, for everywhere. Every, everywhere, and uh, yeah. I think I think there is a there, there's there's a challenge for that network to ensure that mission yeah, is being done in poor areas. He talks quite a lot, doesn't he, about student churches or churches yeah. in student areas, and and obviously there are big thriving Anglican churches that, yeah. in those kind of contexts as well, but. There is, by necessity, as you say, in the Church of England, also a vast swathe of churches which are not that, and most churches are not that. And I guess if you're in a situation, for example, in the FIC, and you're thinking, well, we've got a great pastor who wants to lead a church plant, where should we do that? It would be very tempting to think, here's a great student community, here's a great town with lots of middle-class people who don't seem to be being reached there's a place where we can see we could plant a a church that would thrive and grow rather than to look at a little market town or 
group of villages or somewhere or, or in, a in a city, city I mean um, parish and think we must invest in that and it's not so they don't do that at all but you can see why why they're well, and having to make and, choices and it, yeah and it's harder because the, you know those those large churches they're not then you do have to subsidize or yeah. send money to those smaller churches in areas where people are poor and that is a you know mm. I, I know well and he talks about not just uh supporting financially but also being willing to kind of send people and receive people and and you know that relates to our more transient lifestyles people yeah. move for work and all that sort of stuff as well but but actually therefore between churches and we need to be um yes and it's more yeah, just more aware that that's likely to be the case. Yeah, it's um, often the frustration of small churches that yeah. that that the large churches attract all the people, and then they've got six music teams, and mm-hmm. uh, you know our small church we 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 do karaoke church with a CD, and it's like yeah. well if you if you know four of your musicians committed themselves to move to our parish, yeah, we, that would transform abso- absolutely transform our Sunday mornings. Yeah, but obviously the Lord has to has to give that heart to people to do that yes well so let's move on so the last chapter he talks about how to respond to the times and there's various uh, challenges to think about how we might change but one of the things I was very struck by uh, in that chapter was him talking about this need for churches to uh, be more networky yeah, more and interconnected. more interconnected and more sharing resources yeah. and so on. So here's two questions here that I thought were worth thinking about. Yeah. In what ways is the ongoing vitality of your church dependent on the fruit of the gospel ministry of churches elsewhere in Britain or overseas? Mm. So, I mean, I could point to quite specific things in my church. So, for example, uh, over the last few years when we've employed ministry trainees, mm. Uh, or me when I used to work for the church, or I think a little bit for our current youth worker, although our current youth worker is mainly funded in-house, we have been able to apply to trusts and other churches to help us pay for some of those things. So that's one really obvious direct way where our church has benefited from from other churches. We are blessed in our deanery with a huge huge trust fund, which was uh, a legacy of a Puritan in the 1600s. So uh, we don't have. We don't yeah, have so you're to not financially dependent in that same way. But actually, um, in some ways, the fruit that we have relied mm. on is the training that right. my husband Neil received and um, our family and communities worker received. Um, our ministry trainees haven't really come from the sort of the big, big churches, but they have come from churches elsewhere, and from uh, some of them have come from universities where they've had good teaching at, uh, through the Christian Union. Um, so we've had a few of those. We and they've been part of the ministry training course, which, yes, again, is it, both the, the kind of teaching on that, but also the, the, the fellowship yeah, and the, the gospel partnership has, has been part. So of that. I think when you get people who transfer from another church, it doesn't happen hugely often in our church, but it does mm. happen. And actually, when we've had um, immigrant folk who've joined us, some of them have come yeah. from really good gospel churches um, or or even that they're people who don't even attend our church, but who pop in from time to time and encourage us that actually is a blessing uh, to our church I think absolutely I mean we certainly have um, benefited a lot from people uh, who have come to us from other churches either they've moved to Stafford and and joined us or they've moved churches and have you know some of our wonderful older folk in particular Mm. you know lives of being fed and and shaped by the gospel that they've heard elsewhere um, has been wonderful. I think also I'd want to say in this, we have really benefited 
fitted at Castle Church from our local network of uh, churches. We have a Litchfield Diocese Renew group um, of, I don't know, a dozen churches, something like that. And over the last few years, that has been a really active um, group. And so we've had, you know, a youth day that our teenagers yeah. really loved, we had a PCC Away day that was incredibly helpful. The Bible day. The Bible quiet day that lots of people have been on. So, so lots of things that we've been able to do together which we wouldn't have done as a church on our own that have have really benefited us but then also how can your church support and encourage gospel ministry in britain to communities cultures and contexts that are very different to your own and i think that is a challenge um to us we it is very easy to focus on our situation Mm. very easy to get into a mindset of thinking of your church as one that needs help rather than gives it And even if you do think about missionary context, to think about that in terms of overseas mission rather yeah. than how are we supporting and encouraging. Yeah, other... I, I think there's a real danger throughout the UK. And Ros and I, were, mm. we were talking, um, weren't we, about our churches seeing ourselves as small and struggling. Yes. And therefore we need other people to help us. But I wonder if the larger churches see themselves as we've got to keep up our largeness and we can't possibly be yeah. reaching out to other smaller churches because we're so busy. And we, and it's true. And, you know, these big student mm. churches, they, they they're ha- expensive to run they've and-, got, well, and they have a huge turnover. So they're always desperate for leaders. I know, you know, yeah. friends, friends in sort of uh, with with sort of busy churches, often uh, with sort of transient, you know, London, mm. central London church friend who said, you know, lost a third of all his leadership team every year. <clears throat> so we all have our own struggles. And I, I think we I think possibly every church thinks of itself, you know, mm. is worried about itself and then would like to look to overseas. And maybe we're not good yes. at um, looking yes. in the country and thinking, actually, what could we really do? Yes. How could, how could we actually serve others? And, and, and as a small church, maybe we could serve others by saying, would you like to hear our story? Yes. Even to sort of share that and to say, yeah. look, the gospel is still bearing fruit in this struggling context, be encouraged. Yes, absolutely. Sharing our stories. Also, you know, we might not feel we can do stuff for, but we could do stuff together with. Mm. Um, So I talked about the Renew Group, but actually uh, you were just talking, uh, yesterday we were chatting about uh, what happened in West Bromwich on Good Friday, and that's churches getting together and doing something and actually serving each other. Yes, and um, uh, uh, previously our, um, yeah, there are a couple of, churches we've met together we've had joint youth group events and we do uh, we take them often take uh, children from uh, other neighboring churches join together when we go on a summer camp mm-hmm. and um, it, at one point I think we had a joint weekend away our old church in Wolverhampton had a joint weekend away mm-hmm. with a church in Tipton so two black yeah. country churches working together so th- there's certainly lots of opportunities to encourage one another even two small churches can do that together exactly and I think this thinking about communities, cultures and contexts that are very different to your own. Um, just, yeah. you know, there are all kinds of, of ways in which a church could reach out to another church in a, in a very different area yeah. and say, how could we be praying for you? Yeah. Or, you know, would it help if we um, shared some of our preachers to help out when you're, you know, you're away or whatever, you know, and just it doesn't have to be so incredibly big and costly that you just think, well, we couldn't do that. I'll tell you another thing which I heard about recently that I just thought was brilliant was a sort of chain mission 
situation. So this is when I was talking to David and Kim Bourne on the Hailsham podcast, some of you may have heard. They'd had a team from a church in Eastbourne, I think, from a church in Eastbourne come and do a mission with them. And then they were going to go off and do mission in another parish. And the idea was, you know, actually none of them needed to be the big church. It was just, we're going to take a team from our church to serve another church and then sort of keep paying that forward. And I, yeah, I just thought that was wonderful as a way of empowering your congregation to see they can, they have something to offer. Yes. And, you know, uh, Renew groups are terrific mm. from, from for, certainly for ministers to meet people from different churches and the the system of um, diocesan evangelical fellowships as well could be another way that you could um, meet uh, people from your diocese. I mean, our diocese is so huge is that yeah. we're, we're not often not aware of other evangelical churches still in our diocese and to uh, to get the opportunity to do that and we're looking at revive i'm um, thinking about trying to revive our dear but yes. other uh, other yeah, places other kinds more, of networking yeah. um can and and to see those networks as a as a way of yeah. uh finding opportunities to serve rather than just to be encouraged yourself so this is written by john stevens director of the fiec there is quite a lengthy appendix at the back focusing on a survey uh, of the fiec over the last few years have you found it helpful to read um, thinking about an Anglican context, Amanda? Uh, yes, I, I think, I mean, it's a very short read. So it, this is not something that's going to, you know, keep you awake for days on end and require wet flannels on your head. It's it's very accessible to read and it, quite very thought-provoking, especially yeah. those questions. Yeah, I think that's right. I think as I read through it, there wasn't masses that I thought, oh, I'd never thought about that before. Yeah. And I think probably... As church leaders, there's there's not much in the book that at least you, I mean, you ought to have thought about this stuff before. Yes. But it's so short and so accessible and the questions are so helpful. I would say it's the kind of book that would be great to read with your PCC, yes, for example, absolutely. because maybe not everybody there will have thought about how the changing community and the changing context yeah. means we need to rethink how do we do mission or yes. you know like those things in terms of how we can support other churches or yeah and thinking about the uh, the thing that I was very struck by was this this uh, this issue in a parish church of how ge- geographical proximity mm. is no longer a sort of a, 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 yeah. a builder of community so i think there are lots of good things that w- we could ask people you know encourage yeah. people to think about yes or you you know maybe it would be good used as a sort of um a one-off talk you know if you were doing yeah. if you're sort of church which does sort of thought you know thinking seminars or you know some sort of mm. uh, yes it would be it would be a great sort of thing to do a, a session on and then encourage people to say read the book and in small groups yeah talk about those questions yeah, yeah, um yeah. yeah or for like a pcc away day or something to yes, do that yes. kind of uh, thinking through because as I said I think the question is so helpful because they are not just at the level of the whole of our uh, society but also thinking much more about our local church there's a lot of questions that are very specific think about your context yes. your church um, and yeah. what God is doing there or how you need to be changing yeah. and, and almost those questions even in 10, 20, 30 years' time, those are the same questions we need to be asking because the culture will change. Exactly. But the gospel is the same. And we need to be asking those questions of how to reach our culture with the gospel. And if we don't keep on asking those questions, we get stuck. And that's where, where 
mission starts to fail because we're on, we're not answering questions that people are asking. Very helpful. So we would recommend that. That's Knowing Our Times. It's published by 10 of those. It's by John Stevens. Uh, next month, we think we're going to be reading Paul Mallard's Invest Your Disappointments. Yes, we hope so. We're just waiting, uh, we're for, waiting for our review copies. So that might change if we don't get those in time. But that's what we're planning to read. So if you'd like to read along, uh, do join us. And if you've got questions or, or thoughts, either on what we've talked about today or on that for our next episode, then do let us know. You can email me, ros at churchsociety.org, or you can comment on our Facebook page or tweet us at Church Society. Thanks for listening. Bye.